You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. Well, let's jump into our sermon, Legacy Continued, Dressing for a Blessing. Logan came up with that title. You will love that. You'll come to appreciate that as the service goes on, I'm sure. But uh, we're talking about what it looks like to live a uh, spiritual legacy, How do I live my spiritual legacy? And what I love what the scriptures do, especially in Genesis, is is you see Abraham given this legacy, and then you see Isaac kind of wrestle through, well, what does this mean for me? And then we're going to see Jacob do the same thing, and Esau, to some degree, a lesser degree, but we'll see Jacob and Esau try to figure out, well, what does this mean for me? And then, you know, Joseph and, and the other brothers what does this mean for me? And as a parent, you know, I'm watching my kids do that wrestling right now. They're trying to figure out what part of this are they going to carry on into their life? How, what is important to me? How do I live this out? How do I know that that's God speaking to me and not the pizza from last night? How do I know? And so... We're talking about that spiritual legacy. And we said last week that the legacy that we received is messy. Even if it was, like, even if your parents were really trying, and some of us had parents that weren't even trying. But even if your parents were really trying, it's, it's messy. And we're going to see that today, I think, in, in, in some stark ways, that, that it can be very messy, even, even those that we look up to and value for what, how they lived their like life. But I want to draw you back to Genesis 18 and, and just remember what, what this legacy, how this legacy started. Um, and this is not the first time the Lord came to Abraham, but this succinctly talks about it. So we'll use this verse here. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, Abraham doesn't have a child, (laughs) and he's old. So this sounds like crazy talk, right? If you're Abraham. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. But I want to, I want to go back just a slide. It says that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is one of the things, as we live out our spiritual legacy, one of the ways we could tell if we're doing it well is people will be blessed because of it. You know, with this situation with 105 East Pine, like we could have demanded our way. We could have, we could have jumped up and down. We could have said, hey, I prayed about this. You're going to have to just get on board with this. 
you heathen. You know, I don't know if he's a heathen or not. Um, I could, we could have jumped up and down. We, honestly, I think we could have sued if we wanted to. And we chose not to. We chose, we're choosing not to. We, because that's not being a blessing. We could demand our way. I mean, we have legal right to do so. But as a board, we're like, ah, that just doesn't seem like the right answer. And, as, and our lawyer, I'm grateful for a lawyer giving us sound advice and, hey, this is available to you. But we're like, mm, we're not going to play that card. In fact, we're going to take that card out of the deck. How do you know if you're living the legacy out well? Everyone around you is being blessed. Everyone around you is being blessed. And we're going to see why that doesn't always work out. Like that sometimes it just doesn't happen. Last week we looked at Isaac's life and, and not, not all of his life because this week we're going to see another part of his life. But, was, but in, a, in a single chapter, it's like the big rocks, the big events of his life, the big markers of what took place in Isaac's life. And it was written like a eulogy. And it was just 50,000 foot view you know, it's like uh, flying over a city. You can see all the city really quickly, right? That's what that was like. This week will be a little different. And we noticed that there was strife, that Isaac faced opposition. And, and I'm not surprised that we have faced opposition in trying to establish a child care center and trying to plant the church in a new location. I'm just not surprised that we are facing strife, and it's how we face that strife. And Isaac, Isaac, from a grand scheme of things, faced that strife in very redemptive ways. But this week, we're going to look at the passing of the baton, the, the next generation. What happens? How does Isaac pass the baton to his, to his boys? And I want to ask you a question to get started. How do you live your legacy of faith when life says you're not enough? When life says, I'm sorry, you've made too many mistakes. Or when others either can't or won't see what you sense God leading you to. How do you, how's that experience been for you? Because I think we've all experienced that in some way, shape, or form where, where we're like, yeah, you just don't have what it takes. Or you've made too many mistakes. How is God ever going to use you? Or I hear what you're saying, but I just don't see it. I don't see how God can possibly use you that way. How do we live that out? Well, to uh, wrestle with these questions, we're going to look at portions of Genesis 25, 26, and 27. I hope you brought a lunch. 
No, we'll get you out of here before lunchtime. Um, but I, I just want to give you a, a few kind of uh, things to consider as we, as we talk through this this morning. First of all, uh, we're going to see snapshots. These are snapshots in time. So this isn't, this isn't the whole story. Like we saw last week, we saw um, big picture. We're going to look at granular moments. So, so I want you to consider that. We're going to see that immaturity abounds. <laughs> We're going to see some real problems in this week's stories. We're going to see, I think, uh, that Esau is apathetic and Jacob has chutzpah. He has chutzpah. Chutzpah, chutzpah. It's, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's like an audacity. It's a boldness. It's a Hebrew word. It means audacity or, or, or boldness or courage. Gumption. Yeah, chutzpah. Good old Jewish word. Um, so um, he has chutzpah, and I'm not using enough phlegm. I'll... I'll I'll use that as a disclaimer. But uh, yeah, put a mask on me. I'll give you some phlegm. Um, I'm protecting Al because he's in the front row. No, no phlegm for him. Um, he, he's got chutzpah, but he also is kind of dominated by his shadow, his past, his, those, those narratives that run in the back of his mind that tell him that he's not enough, that he's always... He's, he never measures up. So um, what this story is not about is who's evil and who's good. And it's not about who's saved and who's not saved or who's in and who's not in. Who's in and who's out. This story is not about that. Just like picture if, if this was in modern day church, just picture people that are part of the church Wrestling through their part. Okay? <clears throat> so, snapshot one, Genesis 25. Uh, we're told early on in Genesis 25, uh, about verse 19, that these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. That is a strange saying. It's like you introducing me to one of your friends. You're going, hey, this is Rob and, and, and the children of Rob are. Rob was born to Stephen Marge. It's kind of an odd sta- statement. It's the only time that's found in the Old Testament like that. When they talk about the generations, we'll talk about that in footnotes because it's interesting, but not helpful. Do the sermon. Um, but the two boys born to Isaac are Esau and Jacob. Now, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. She's the daughter of Bethel and the sister of Laban, the Aramean, and that will become important, become important in future weeks. But Isaac prayed to the Lord because his wife was barren. In fact, it, they tried to have children for 20 years before they had their boys. So he's 60 years old when, he, when, they, uh, when they have kids. 
And once Rebecca had conceived, she knows that there was this struggle inside of her. And she pondered this and she went to the Lord and said, Lord, what in the world is going on? And he says this, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. That word separated, um, go back to Genesis 1 where God separated the waters from the land. Same word. The one people will be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Now, I want to take a time out and just say, we have to wrestle with the question, is this prescriptive or descriptive? Is God prescribing what has to take place or does he simply know what's going to happen and he simply describes what's going to take place. It matters. It matters because if it's God's fault that this all happens this way, then we don't have, then we could just, you know, wash our hands of it. Right? If it's prescribed, if it's ordained, if it has to happen this way, then, well, God, you made it happen, right? Or if he's simply describing what's going to take place because he's, he knows, then there could have been a different outcome. So I want you to think about that as we talk through this. Now, we're told that Esau is red all over, and uh, he's, he's hairy. He comes out looking like a full-grown man as an infant, and his name means, in a sense, doer. Like Esau is a doer. He gets things done. Jacob was born just, just, just seconds later, hanging on to the heel of Esau. And so his name means heel or heel grabber. In a sense, you could just call him second place. How would you like that for a name? Hey, second place. Might as well be last, right? Uh, Rabbi David Foreman tells us that in the Hebrew, we're told that they named Esau and he named Jacob. They named Esau. In other words, both the parents were involved in naming Esau and Isaac named Jacob. And the implication is mom wasn't happy with that name. Why are you calling my son second place? Why are you naming him heel grabber? And then verse 27, we're told that when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so we know that this, this story is a story of favorites. It kind of reminds me of my own story. My, my dad and I connected really well. My brother and my mom connected really well. My brother and I kind of connected okay. 
Um, but because of these lines that were drawn, it impacted our relationship with each other. Have you seen favoritism play out in your life? Maybe in your family, maybe within a work environment? Have you seen favoritism get in the way of relationship? And we see that these two boys, that they're designed different. One is has this external strength, right? Esau, he's a hunter. He, he goes out. He dominates. He probably won all the races, all, all the arm wrestling. Like Jacob was physically in second place to his brother his entire life. He was more of an internal strength kind of guy. In today's world, he wouldn't have done well in high school, but probably would have excelled in college. He probably would have been bullied all the way through K through 12, but then excelled and, and gone on to get the PhD. That's, there's differences between these boys, and that's okay. They're designed differently. But that's snapshot number one. Snapshot number two. Genesis 25, 29. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me swallow, let me have a swallow of that red stuff there for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Cerebro kid is talking to the brawny kid. <laughs> Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So what use then is the birthright to me? Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau the bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. Birthright's not as big of a thing in, in American culture as, as it was to that e ancient Eastern culture, and maybe even to the Eastern culture today. But uh, there's this Hebrew word called bohor. It means firstborn. The firstborn had the responsibility for taking the father's values and passing it on to the siblings. And they also received a double portion of the inheritance so that they could take care of the household. They had twice as much responsibility, so they were given twice as many assets, but they were to carry on the legacy of the family. These boys are, are born seconds apart, right? But the firstborn was to bear this responsibility. And Esau seems to not care. He seems kind of apathetic about this responsibility. And then in Genesis 26, 34, this is the very last verse of last week's story that, 
that we went through, and we, we saved this verse for this week. We're, we're told that when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they, were, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about here. We'll probably talk more about this in footnotes, but Esau doesn't get married in the way that that ancient Eastern culture got married. He went and chose a wife for himself. He went and chose two wives. And... And those wives brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And so, again, we see this, this apathy about this legacy that, that Esau doesn't, like he's too busy doing his own thing. He, he's, he's too interested in his own desires and serving himself, at least in this moment of time. Okay, again, this is a snapshot in a person's life. Jacob, on the other hand, like he's showing a little chutzpah, like, like he's seeing someone who's apathetic. And, and maybe you've served under somebody, maybe you were led by somebody, and they had no chutzpah. I, in the military, that was, that was the worst. I have an apathetic boss. That was the worst. And my motto was lead, follow, or get the bleep out of my way. Like that was me. <laughs> I ran, as a, as a senior airman, I ran over mass sergeants sometimes because they just, they wouldn't do anything. Have you worked for someone who was apathetic? Try to identify or feel that emotion, what that was like to be led by someone, to work for someone, to... Watch someone not handle their responsibilities well because they just didn't care. Hang on to that emotion because that's what this experience was like for Jacob. And he shows a little bit of chutzpah here. But let's look at our third snapshot found in Genesis 27. Now, Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, and that is significant. Uh, Pay attention. Tune in to footnotes this week. Um, it's, this, isn't, this is the first time that we're told this about a father. It's not the last time. And what the rabbis have determined when you look at all the stories where the father's eyes are dim, they can't see, somehow they're not paying attention to what their kids are doing. They're, they're turning a blind eye to things. But we'll talk more about that. So Isaac uh, tells Esau to go out in the field and hunt some game and to make him a savory dish and to bring it to him so that he may bless Esau. We're not quite there yet. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, and Rebecca is, is listening to this. It seems like Isaac has one blessing for one son and no blessing for the other son. 
And again, blessings are different for us than it was for that ancient Eastern culture. In their mindset, when you bless someone, you are obligating God to do something special in their life. You were obligating God to do something special in their life. And Rebecca sees this as a problem. And so she goes to her son, Jacob, and she says this, go now to the flock and bring me two choice goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. Now, if you are, if you're aware of this story, if you're, familiar with this story, we know that Jacob steals the blessing, that he deceives his father. But if we read this for the first time through the, just with a curious lens, up to this point, Rebecca is not asking her son to deceive anybody. Rebecca is simply saying, son, I want you to get a blessing too. Go and ask for one. Go ask your dad for a blessing. Okay? And this is where Jacob's shadow starts to come in. Jacob answered, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse, not a blessing. See, I think Jacob thinks that there's no way I'm getting a blessing out of my dad unless I deceive him. And this plan that started as a, as a good plan by mom kind of spirals out of control. But his mother said, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. For the parents in the room, we've probably all been there where we're trying to just spur our child. Like we, we see something in our kid that maybe they can't see in themselves yet, or they, have, they haven't, their fears are bigger than their, their courage. And we're just kind of like, ah, just move, just start moving. It'll be all right. And I think that's what Rebecca's trying to do here. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hand and the smooth part of his neck. And she also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made for her son, Jacob. And so Jacob goes in to his father. And Isaac says, who are you? Jacob says, I'm Esau, I'm your oldest son. It was more like, I'm Esau, oldest son. <laughs> I was just like, how did you come back so fast? The Lord blessed me, Jacob says. And Isaac says, please come close so I can feel your hairy arms. He says, the voice is of the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And Isaac said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob says, I am. 
Is this ridiculous? I mean, it's kind of like me. I was thinking that like, uh, get one of those, uh, mop heads and just strap it to my chin and then throw a guitar on and, and you know, like I'm Logan. <laughs> Feel my beard. And I start singing and you're going, wow, that's awful singing like Rob, but the beard is, is definitely Logan. Like this is the dumbest, who thought that this was a good idea? <laughs> Verse 27, so he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who cursed you and blessed be those who bless you. This is the blessing that Jacob gets. And these words are all meant for Esau. What a bitter pill that would be to steal a blessing. And hear those words. And then we're told as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, that Jacob left and Esau enters. Like, they, like it's one of those double-sided doors and one guy's entering and one guy's leaving. <laughs> The, the uh, rabbis have an interesting answer to that. Like, how'd that happen? They, they thought about it, wrote things down. Um, and Esau also made savory food. And he says, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Only this time, it sounds like Esau. Not just smells and feels like Esau. Isaac says, who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently. And he said, who was it he that hunted the game and brought it to me so that I ate of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he will be blessed. Again, this ancient Eastern view that if I bless somebody, I'm obligating the Almighty to do something in their life. Pay attention to these last four verses, though. When Esau heard the voice of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said, Father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob for he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright. No, you gave it. <laughs> and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. That's actually true. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? It's the second time he says that. But Isaac replied, Behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives I have given to him as servants with grain and new wine. I have sustained him. 
Now, as for you, then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, do you only have one blessing? My father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And so Esau lifted his voice and wept. Now, if you take a look at the Hebrew of this story, there's a Hebrew word that shows up 23 times. In one, there's two forms of the word that, that show up 23 times, the same root word, barach, barach, to bless. This word shows up 23 times. This story is about blessing. The story is about the author wants you to know, like I, you couldn't, every time they read it, they probably jumped up and down when they read blessing. <laughs> we need to know that this story is about blessing. Abraham is told that through him, all the nations will be blessed, but only Isaac. Send your other sons away. Is that what God says? Does God tell him to send his other sons away? And then Isaac, he's got two sons. What's he going to do? Oh, like father, like son. I got a blessing for one of you. Esau says, do you only have one blessing? And I believe God is asking the same question. Do you only have one blessing? Do we have a limited amount of blessing? Are there only a finite number of people that we are, are willing to obligate God to work in a special way in their lives? How do we be a blessing to all nations? If we can't be a blessing to all of our children all the people in our household. How can we be a blessing to all nations if our God is limited in how many people he can bless? Is that prescripted or is it descriptive because that's where we land? Is God limited because... He He's limited himself or is he limited because we don't have enough faith to believe that he can bless all nations? Are there some nations that you think of today that God absolutely cannot bless? Are there some people, are there some issues that God can't bless that person? And who has withheld blessing from you. What's that like? Who, who had the, the ability to completely change your situation? Like, like they had all the resources in the world. They could have just made a decision. They could have rubber stamped it. They could have honored the lease. Who 
withheld blessing from you because uh, who knows why? What was that like? Hang on to that emotion. And then who we withheld blessing from? Because the implication is this. Two implications. One, God chose to move his kingdom forward through, an imp- through imperfect chutzpah rather than talented apathy. God moved his kingdom forward through imperfect Jacob rather than talented Esau. He moved his kingdom forward through a guy that said, yeah, my dad says that I'm second best. My experience says I'm always coming in last. But I value this and I want to do something about it. Isaac either didn't or couldn't. He either wouldn't or couldn't see God using his son Jacob. Just didn't even cross his mind. Didn't even cross his mind. He's not like me. He's not made out of the right stuff. He's got all these problems. And Isaac couldn't see God using him. If you will risk to make God's kingdom, if you'll risk to make kingdom differences, God will choose you. God chooses you. If you'll risk to make disciples, if you'll risk to change the spiritual legacy of your family, if you'll risk to share your faith story, if you'll risk bringing restoration to the broken or to the needy, if you'll risk to make Jesus your Lord, God chooses you, regardless of your past, and regardless of what maybe everyone else is saying about you. God can use you to move his kingdom forward. Second implication. God's blessing is not limited. Be a blessing everywhere you go to everyone you come in contact with. Peter says we are called for this very purpose. We are called for this very purpose to be a blessing. I have prayed for a property owner. I've asked God, what does it look like for us to be a blessing to him when he didn't want to be a blessing to us? I've prayed for God to bless him. Peter says, to sum up all, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Isaac wasn't even, like Jacob wasn't there to curse his father. He was just trying to be a son. How much more when someone is trying to be evil towards you? For you were called for the very purpose. You are following Christ 
to be a blessing. And if you're not being a blessing, then let's figure that out. Because whenever we're not a blessing, we are not following Christ well. There's a reality. And that's how we inherit our blessing. So some next steps. One, align your passions with God's kingdom. Then start moving. You know, you don't, you don't have to put a cross on to whatever it is that God's, whatever you're passionate about. You don't, you don't have to put a cross on it. You don't have to put a fish on it for it to be godly and, and for people to be blessed through it. Whatever you are passionate about, I believe that that's a God-given, like there's something, there's things that you see in this world that you want to fix, that you want to resolve, that you want to participate in to help make that better. Align that with God's kingdom and then start moving. Don't let your shadow stop you from starting. Don't let those running narratives in your brain, those old conversations where people said that you don't match up, that you're not good enough, that you'll always be second best, that that's not your design. You got to be crazy for even thinking about that. Don't let that get in your way. Show some chutzpah and start moving. You may make a lot of mistakes along the way. In fact, odds are you will. God could still use you. He could still use you. Align your passions with God's kingdom, then start moving. Number two, develop a good eye. Start learning to see people the way God sees them. If if there's a devil behind every bush, um, develop a good eye. If there's a million and one reasons why someone can't be blessed by God, develop a good eye. Let God replace that. I, I spent a season a number of years ago where I just read all the red letters in my Bible where I just read over and over and over again, just the words of Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, what that means is that theologians have marked out the the words in the New Testament scriptures, in the gospels, that they believe that Jesus literally spoke. It's an interesting study just to read what he says. Push out all the other noises, all the other voices, and just listen to Jesus for a while. And soak that in for a season. Develop a good eye. Number three, start by blessing God for what you have. Start by blessing God. Sometimes my prayers are more about what I don't have than than what I do have. I love in the Lord's Prayer that we get to pray for our daily bread before we ask for forgiveness. That's how much God wants to bless us. We get to ask for food and shelter 
before we ask that he forgives us. Maybe with our kids, we could do the same. Or they could come and ask for food and shelter when they've made mistakes before they ask for forgiveness. But in Deuteronomy 8, there's a verse uh, written to the Jews. Uh, This is very specific to them, but I've adopted for myself. When you have eaten and are satisfied. Who ate today? Some of us. Some of you had coffee, though. Come on. You could call that food. (laughs) When you have eaten and are satisfied. I like, I don't miss very many meals. You could tell. I don't miss very many meals. When you've eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God. He has been the best to me. And yet sometimes I'm prone to curse instead of bless. Get in a regular habit of blessing the Lord your God the one who's been the very best. If we, if we can't do it with him, how are we going to do it with the, with the one who's been the very worst, our enemy? Like just getting the practice of going, God, you've brought me to a good land. Like Missoula is amazing. I love the people, love the breweries. You know, this is a great place. Beautiful landscape. Bless the Lord your God. For the good land, which is, if we can't bless him, how are we going to bless anybody else? So let that be a habit that we build into our lives. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.